You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. Tonight's scripture reading is Matthew 6, 5 through 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Our Father, we are indeed thankful for your word, and we do indeed need you now. We need you every minute of this day of our life, but certainly we need you in this hour, this this time that we gather now under your word. So we pray that you would help us to see Christ and trust him all the more, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, tonight is both a torch night and a lower elementary night, one of those magical nights where they're both happening on the same evening. So if you are a fourth through sixth grader, you can head out with Jordan and all of the others who are going with you, yeah, whoever, yep, Stephen. And then if you are a kindergarten through third grader, you can head out with Mrs. Junick. All right, man, what a night. It is party central. You guys are going to have a good time discussing and thinking about God's Word together. Uh, While seeing all these kids gather and move their way out, uh, for if if you have kids, a couple of months ago, uh, around tax season was maybe the most stressful tax season that you've ever had. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, No matter how many blog posts that you read, no one was really sure if this, these like child tax credit checks that you got in the mail were like an advance on the, like the deduction that you were going to claim on your taxes that year, or if they were like another gift from the federal government, like we had received so many times. Uh, so it was really weird and really stressful, and I think we all figured it out. But on top of then that, and then just lots of governmental conversations at both state and federal level, Everybody's talking about taxes, what's best for the economy, and then inflation's happening, what's best to curb all of that. Well, here's the thing. This sermon is not going to raise a debate about tax or fiscal policy, but rather to get us thinking about the regular and the ongoing things that we might do just out of duty or obligation. Good Americans, we might think, pay their taxes. It's a social expectation I know that it's right to do, and so I should do it. And of course, if I don't, then I'll go to jail. But I'm afraid many of us can tend toward thinking about prayer 
not a whole lot differently. Good Christians pray. It's a social expectation. I know it's right, so I should do it too. Sometimes. And that actually makes me feel guilty when I even think about that reality because I don't pray more than I do. I might think I intellectually know of prayer's benefit, but it often might feel like a waste of time. And it's just hard. I get sleepy. I get distracted. Well, here's the thing, and I'm going to be completely honest with you. What I just said wasn't just hypothetical realities I was thinking might be running through your head and hearts. Everything that I just said is true of my head and heart. I've simultaneously been dreading this sermon and then also really excited about it. Dreading it because I feel in many ways that I'm inadequate to speak to you all on prayer. But excited because I knew that knowing this sermon is coming, just thinking about the last couple of months, uh, would force me to deal with all of this head-on intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. And praise the Lord, over the past several weeks and months, uh, I have felt God say to me through his word, His grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect through weakness. And with Paul, I'll say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. So if you're visiting with us tonight, welcome. We're really glad you're here. Uh, My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. And our typical diet of preaching is just to work our way through a book of the Bible. Uh, But since our liturgy, our order of service is one of the things that we will, Lord willing, to do together just hundreds and hundreds of times over the next many years, we want to be very clear about why we have intentionally ordered our service in the way that we have especially when so many of us have never experienced a worship in a service with perhaps this much structure. So we thought about God's call to worship him, our necessary confession of our sin and our weakness in light of his holiness, our necessary assurance of pardon for those of us who are trusting in the work of Christ for our forgiveness. And now tonight, we want, or last week, we thought about worship and even profession of faith. But tonight, we want to think through now a next step, a next step of what comes in all of that, corporately and individually in our own lives, about the how and the why we should pray. There are plenty of places in the Bible that we could have gone to think about prayer, but what better place than the model prayer that Jesus gives us in Matthew 6? The Lord's Prayer, the Our Father If you don't have a Bible, maybe feel free to use one of the ones in front of you. Uh, The translation there might be a bit different than what we're reading from in the ESV. But it's been said in chapter chapter 6 of the book of Matthew, first book of the New Testament, but it's been said that this prayer might be the most spoken set of words in human history. That might be true. The prayer that you just heard John John read might be the most spoken set of words in the entirety of humanity, said more and more often by more people than any other combination of words in history. Uh, My middle school and high school football team would kneel before every football game in the end zone and say this prayer. Uh, I'd look around and see guys who hadn't given one thought about God and his glory, hadn't been to church maybe ever in their life that week, but they knew and they recited this prayer before a football game. Ironically, of course, as we'll see. But tonight, we'll see how Jesus teaches us about prayer in contrasting sections. We're going to think about first how he gives us how not to pray, but then how to pray. How not to pray and how to pray. So first of all, how not to pray. 
a tiny bit of context here. Jesus is in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount, uh, and he's teaching about hypocrisy. He's already exposed the hypocrisy of giving to the poor merely to be noticed by others. And in the section following ours, he'll point out the hypocrisy of fasting in public, merely so that others will see you and think well of you. So in this middle section here in chapter 6, he's going to point out the same thing, pointing out the hypocrisy of praying publicly merely so that others might think of you as like especially spiritual. So Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 5 and following, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. But truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. How many times have you been perhaps excited to pray or, on the flip side of that, terrified to pray because other people were there? I have many times in my life. Perhaps most memorably, uh, after I think it was my second year of seminary, I had just finished a a class on the book of Matthew, uh, this book that we're thinking on, uh, and Marcy and I had just come back from Texas, or to Texas for, for Christmas, and there was this really big Christmas Eve gathering, and before the meal, of course, I was asked to bless the meal, uh, and I prayed, and it was a good prayer. Uh, having spent all semester thinking about Matthew, but perhaps not <laughs> this section of Matthew 6, uh, I prayed that in this Christmas season uh, that we might draw near to the King Jesus like the Magi who came to worship him with exceeding joy. Uh, might we not remain far from you, O God, like Herod and the scribes and the priests who might know so much about religion but might not actually know Christ who came to save them. Oh Lord, may it be so. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And many of my aunts and uncles and my grandmother said, oh, that was nice, Nathan. And I had had my reward. I wanted their approval. I wanted their admiration. And I had received it, completely ignoring the, my unbelieving cousins who were like over in the corner just rolling their eyes, I'm sure. Jesus warns that prayer is not for making yourself look good. Rather, prayer is for knowing God and growing in our fellowship and trust in him. The Sermon on the Mount is all about loving and worshiping God as a unified, as a whole, as an undivided person, that our external actions might align with our internal motivations. So when we do pray, for the approval of man, or when we don't pray out of fear of man, our external actions, external prayer, which is a good thing, does not align with our internal motive, the promotion of the self, which is an evil thing. If all you want is for people to think highly of you, you might get that. But what an unfulfilling, what an unsatisfying, what a fleeting reward that is. Rather, when we pray to know God and experience him through the fellowship of prayer, that's a reward. We see Paul tell the Philippians, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God from the God of peace through 
Christ Jesus. Now we're talking. That's a reward. But that does not come when you pray to sound smart, to sound good, to sound especially spiritual. We'll see in just a moment why that happens through prayer, why when we need to pray and when we continue to pray, God actually draws us to himself. But notice here when Jesus says, when you pray, he does not say in Matthew 6, if you pray, if you ever get around to pray, go ahead and pray like this. But he assumes that God's people will pray. When you pray, and then Jesus' command to pray in secret does not necessarily prescribe that we never pray in public. That when James just prayed up here, he was ignoring the scriptures here. Now we see the apostles regularly pray in public. Paul publicly prays for the people who he is writing his letters to. But if we are tempted toward the approval of men when we pray, we should pray in private. So when Kyle or I pray for the church after our profession of faith, we are both modeling biblical Christ-centered prayers, but also speaking and praying for you on your behalf. And this is exactly what James just did for us. He spoke on our behalf. He prayed on our behalf. Now, I've mentioned this before, and that's actually something that I just highlighted last week even when we were singing and thinking about our profession of faith. When one of us prays up here publicly in a worship service, that is actually not a time to check out mentally, not a time to take a brief nap, but it is actually a time to turn it on, to up your level of mental and spiritual engagement. This has been something that I've tried to, been, tried to be disciplining my own self in doing while others are praying, to actually like speak the words aloud that are being spoken aloud silently in my head. It takes some practice, but you, you have to like really engage your brain to do that. But speak along silently with us when we pray. And then when one of us says amen at the end, the rest of us actually and ought to loudly echo with an amen. This amen just means may it be so. And so when we say amen, all of us, it's a kind of an invitation for all of you to kind of get out your stamp and approve that prayer. Yes, he just spoke for me. Yes, he just prayed for me. Yes, we just prayed together. Congregationally, amen. In fact, you'll often hear prayer referred to as petitioning. You petition the Lord, which is actually most true congregationally. Think about what a petition is. You get a bunch of people to add their name to a statement or request that then gets handed to or submitted to some person or some office that actually has the ability to do something about your request. That's what a petition is. And every Sunday evening when we gather, among other things, we come to petition God for something or for in some way. Tonight, we we wrote this petition out and we all signed our names that God would continue to work in the youth of this church. Amen? Amen. And next week we'll pray for something else and the next week we'll pray for something else. But if Kyle or I am ever tempted toward using language to just impress you or even impress ourselves to make us look good, we should just stop talking and we should sit down. 
And we should all just pray silently. This is us coming to God with requests and an expectant faith that he will hear and respond to us. Now, one caveat here, a little, uh, several years ago, I caught myself either saying or texting someone, uh, praying for you, uh, and I was extremely convicted that I really didn't have intention to pray for that person that I was saying that to. We say that today, say praying for you or prayers or whatever else as almost a way of saying, thinking about you or good vibes or whatever else, but just sprinkling some extra spirituality on it. Well, since Jesus also teaches on the truthfulness of our words in the chapter before this in Matthew 5, I decided from then and that day on that I would not tell someone that I would pray for them unless I was actually going to. Sometimes that means when I know that I'm not going to pray for that person, I'll just say, oh man, that stinks, instead of praying for you. More often than that though, most often it just, just means when I say, hey, I'm praying for you, that means that I'm going to stop then and there and pray. So you can be confident that if I ever tell you that, hey, praying for you, I'm praying for you, I will do it. We as pastors, we will do it. We will pray. Now Jesus gives one final warning on how not to pray before, then he, before he gives us a model prayer for how to pray. But he says to avoid meaningless and repetitive words. In the irony of all ironies, the prayer that follows that command has turned into one of the most meaningless and repetitive prayers in history. My football team mindlessly said this prayer in thinking that in joining our voices together in this spiritual mantra, God would now allow us to run faster and tackle more violently or something. Prayer is not a way for us to manipulate God into making him do what we want him to do. Too often we think that prayer is like trying to find like the right combination to unlock the treasure chest. If I can just pray the right words, if I can just kneel in the correct posture, if I can say this prayer with the right level of emotion, if I can pray it enough times, then surely God will be obligated to answer in the way that I want him to. But the almighty God, the creator of the universe, he is not a vending machine. He is not a genie waiting to dispense whatever our hearts desire. Prayer does not unlock God's heart to give us our desires. Prayer, over time, unlocks our hearts to be more conformed to his desires. To then begin to pray the kind of prayers that God loves to respond to. And the very fact that God invites, the very fact that God commands commands and invites us to pray is just astounding, to bring our requests to him, to be able to pray to the almighty creator God of the universe is simply amazing. That he would hear our requests and respond is unbelievable, that he hears us, a very small church in a small town, in a remote state, in a small planet, in a small solar system and relatively sized galaxy, God hears the prayers of his people. Even when we're praying, we could all start praying right now individually and out loud and he would hear them all. 
that he loves to hear them all. Nearly every time that God acts in the world, as we see in the narrative of the scriptures, it is in response to a person who prays. Not every time, but nearly every time. When God acts in the world, in time and space, it is usually in response to a person who is praying. He hears and he loves to respond to his people. So prayer isn't something that we do before we eat. It is, more than that. It isn't something that we do when we're just kind of like wrapping up our GC conversations or something just to add a little extra uh, spiritual sauce on top. No. Those kinds of prayers are just heaping up empty phrases. The Lord God of heaven wants to hear from his children. And this moves us from do not pray like this to now pray like this. First, how not to pray. Well, how do we pray then? How to pray. Most of you likely have this prayer memorized, but listen again with fresh ears. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If it were not astounding enough that God would hear us, the creator God of the universe would hear us, Jesus really drops the bomb with those very first two words of this prayer. Our Father. In Jesus' day, to consider and to address God as Father would have been far too intimate. God is too holy and transcendent to consider him like we would our earthly fathers, perhaps those in his day would think and believe. Perhaps if you know any Muslims today, in their view or understanding of Allah, that's actually not too dissimilar from the way that first century Jews would have thought about God. But then here comes Jesus Christ, who at age 12 calls the temple his father's house. He's praying to his father throughout his entire earthly ministry. God the Father did not conceive Jesus Christ, God the Son, as earthly fathers do with their sons. God the Son is just as much deity as God the Father, as just as much as God the Holy Spirit, co-equal in eternity, divinity and majesty. They are not divided in their persons, one God and not three. And yet, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct in their persons. The Father has always been fathering. It is part of his nature to lead and to love and to provide. The Son has always been sunning, loving, enjoying, representing, and being sent by the Father. And the Spirit has always been spiriting, proceeding from, and sent by the Father and Son to accomplish the will of the triune God. Make no mistake, we worship one God, not three, one God, three persons. But when Jesus shows up and starts revealing the reality of eternity past, revealing, pulling back the curtain on eternity past, of the fullness of the triune God. It is shocking. And perhaps even more shockingly, he tells us to pray like he prays. Our Father. Not dear God, maker of the universe and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, but our Father. Jesus, through our being united with him in his perfect and righteous life, through our being united with him in his death, 
as our substitute on the cross. And through our being raised to new spiritual life in his resurrection, we spiritual orphans can be adopted by God as our perfect and good father, experiencing the same life and fellowship with God that God the Son, Jesus Christ, has had from eternity past. Through him, we actually get drawn into the love and the fellowship of the triune God. The reality is, the Pharisees were right. God is far too holy, is far too transcendent for us to pray to him. No one just walks into the throne room of the king and starts making requests. But it makes all the difference when the king is your dad. Our father are perhaps two of the most theologically explosive words that have ever been spoken. And yet we can tend to just blow right past them. So our Father, who is in heaven. He is our Father, but he is still the King, lest we forget whom we are praying to. Almighty God, creator of all things. If our view and understanding of God as Father has gotten so intimate that he is merely Papa or Daddy or something, then we have lost track of who he is as transcendent God, the God of the universe who is to be worshipped. Even those of us who have had the greatest and most amazing fathers are likely not tempted to ongoingly worship them. But with this God, who is Father, he is. The fatherhood of God does not diminish his huge and holy grandeur. And it is good for us to be reminded of that and to worship him as such. So our Father who is in heaven, and then Jesus teaches us to pray, hallowed be your name. Now this is weird. We don't ever use this word. Uh, And we kind of lose the forcefulness of it in the English. This is actually an imperative, like a command. Jesus teaches us to give and utter a command to God, to tell God what to do. We're saying, we're saying to God, make your name hallowed or make your name holy. Make your name, O God, revered, honored, to be considered as holy. That fewer and fewer people would would dishonor you, would blaspheme your name. That more and more people from every nation on earth might revere and worship you. That in my own heart and soul, O God, hallowed be your name. Make your name holy and glorious with a grateful and joyful heart. Make your name holy. And then, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God, as it has been in heaven for eternity, will one day fully and finally invade and transform the kingdom of this world. The cross of Christ and his empty tomb and ascension was a massive beachhead. It was like a D-Day beachhead. But we still await the consummation, the full victory of the kingdom of Christ. And for us to experience and love and joyfully worship those, with those, along, alongside those who are in, in, in heaven now. Fully and finally, sinlessly, that's what we long for. But all of this is according to the will of God. Your will be done. It sure does seem like it would be a whole lot easier for Jesus just to return right now, doesn't it? To return right now and to end all heartache and suffering and loss. Or even for him to have returned a thousand years ago. How much suffering in this world could have been avoided if Jesus had returned a thousand years ago? But how much joy how much worship would have then been eliminated 
without a thousand years of redemption. God is always wise and good, and he always answers our prayers in the best and in the right way. And it is both presumptuous and foolish to accuse God of being or doing otherwise. Much of these torch age kids that just went upstairs might have like a a decent grasp on addition and subtraction, maybe even basic multiplication. It would be presumptuous or foolish of them to attempt to correct like the mathematic formulas of Stephen Hawking. Just because they've learned this much about math, they would be foolish, presumptuous to correct a world-renowned mathematician. So again, I'll quote Tim Keller for the thousandth time. We can be sure our prayers are answered in precisely the way that we would want them to be answered if we knew everything God knows. Saying and meaning to God, your will be done, first requires that we understand rightly who God is and who we are the bigness and the holiness of God and our smallness and sin, our limited understanding. And this is perhaps the point of these three requests in the Lord's Prayer, that God would make his name holy, that he would bring his kingdom, and that his will would be done. All of these are first focused on God and on his glory. And this is where we start with prayer. If we don't begin with God and his glory and pray with thankfulness, our prayers will just be a way of spiritually complaining. But we are commanded to bring our requests to the Lord. And when God's glory is our primary and first concern, then even laments can be expressed in trusting faith. I don't understand, but I trust you. God, make your will be done, but I trust you. We actually can and should bring our requests to God. And this is what Jesus next models. He says, give us this day our daily bread. It is not wrong to ask of God for what we need. In praying for today's needs, we ongoingly profess our dependence on the goodness of God. Similarly, we read another prayer in Proverbs 30. We're in that prayer. We read, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. That prayer gives us another model to ask God for what we need today for survival, but not too much that we forget our need. So beginning each day with a recognition that we are in desperate need of God's care in our lives not just with our physical needs, but praying for the Lord's help in giving us joy and trust in his promises is vital every day in our lives. One pastor writes this, to start the day without prayer is to suggest that the devil is feeble, God is irrelevant, and we can handle things on our own. Now, I think most of us in this room would never verbally express those things. We would never say, I believe that the devil is feeble. I believe that God is irrelevant. I believe that I can handle everything in my life on my own. But do you see how your lack of prayer actually expresses unbelief and true belief in all of those things? Sometimes going an entire day without giving thought to his existence. God help us. As Americans, we can often go weeks or even months without barely feeling just even the slightest pang of hunger. 
unheard of in the history of the world. But it is the epitome of pride to never acknowledge or even recognize our great need. And it's in that sense that we often pray what we pray for here congregationally together, of expressing our need, of our inability to solve things. One of my pastoral friends was recently reflecting on how they at their church, like we do at our church, will rarely, though sometimes, but rarely preach about current events. They, like we, will preach through books of the Bible and trust God to give us and feed us according to what he thinks we need in his word, and that our gatherings would, in a sense, kind of rise above the fleeting and ever-changing fickleness and wickedness of this world and instead fix our hope on the eternal Mount Zion. But if all of my sermons were just kind of a week-to-week me gathering some thoughts on, or some reflections on current events, if all my sermons were, were just my thoughts and commentary on the news or the politics or the public health of the week or whatever I decided that I think you need to hear from me about, well, you can get all of that on cable news. You can get all of that on your social media feed. You don't need me to do that. It's just one guy's opinions on things. Instead, we anchor from hearing from God, which we'll think about next week, and the preaching of God's word. We want to hear and feed on God's word. But there is a time that we devote to thinking, towards addressing, towards giving attention to things that are happening in the world. And when is that time? In the time of prayer. To pray for those things. And what we hope, what this does over time, over years and decades together, of Sundays together, is that during the week, on a Tuesday morning or a Thursday afternoon, when you actually do find yourself thinking about elections or policies, when you think about Supreme Court decisions or wars, when you think about poverty or tragedies, when you think about other churches or other church members, that your first impulse as shaped by our gatherings, is not to just immediately fire off your opinions or your commentary about that thing. But it is to stop and to pray. Not merely and only and exclusively pray, but primarily and impulsively. That when we see and encounter the difficult things of this world, it is our first impulse to ask the Lord for his help that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done. Our gatherings, our worship, shapes and forms our impulses and our desires. But back to Jesus' model prayer, then he says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As we talked about at length ago, or two weeks ago, in thinking about confession, while God forgives his children once and for all, and makes them right before him through the cross of Christ. Nevertheless, ongoing confession on our part is necessary to admit our need for grace. It's grace which makes us right before the Lord, and it is grace which will continue to transform us. We have worshipped ourselves and lived as if God does not exist. So it is good and right for us to come to the Lord to ask for forgiveness. And a fuller and deepening understanding of the gospel leads us to more quickly show grace, to forgiveness, 
or forgiveness to others, to absorb the pain and the hurt and choose not to actively remember sin. So Jesus commands us to kind of pray that we might live into the fullness and the reality of the gospel. The last thing of this prayer, he tells us to ask God to lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. That is, keep us from sin, O God. Keep us from misplaced love and actually help us. Give us the grace that we need to worship today. Protect us from the plans of the evil one today and preserve us in joy and in faith. Now here's the thing though. Throughout this entire prayer, did you notice the pronouns? The pronouns are plural. Just like we thought about last week in singing and in worship. Prayer can and should be done individually. Jesus even tells us to pray individually alone in a closet or something. But again, God has saved not a bunch of individuals to himself. He has saved a people to himself. And so Jesus teaches us to pray corporately. Our Father, give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. Again, what we do when we gather corporately should bleed into who we are and when we scatter then individually. We pray, among other things, to learn to pray throughout the week. And the entirety of this prayer is is needed. The whole thing is just comprehensive. I've been really convicted how small the scope of my prayers have been, but praise the Lord, that scope is growing over the years. I've never been a great prayer But perhaps even my experience over the past months or years can come as an encouragement to you. I get distracted. I get sleepy. I get self-focused in my prayers. So I think having a bit of a focused plan is actually, actually pretty helpful. I've been using time early in the morning as perhaps kids are still sleeping and in response to how God has revealed himself to me through his word that morning to worship, to meditate on his glory, on his grace as a good father, to pray for his kingdom to be made known on earth as it is in heaven, and then asking that he would use us, his people, here in Albuquerque, and then many of our friends and partners around the world as a means for then many more to come to faith in Christ, to make his name holy in Albuquerque, to make his name holy in this world, and that the Lord would give me grace to love him more today and enjoy him forever. And yet, Those prayers can be wandering, distracted, self-focused, perhaps even falling asleep. If so, journaling or writing out some like guided prayer cards, just some note cards with some themes could be helpful, then do that. Maybe different names or categories that you pray for every Monday or every Thursday or whatever it is. These are helpful things along the way. And then, nearly every morning in the shower, I try to remember to pray for Marcy, to pray for my kids. Perhaps you can use a five-minute time every day or a 30-second time, however long your shower is. Maybe one of my kids, like a 17-minute time in the morning, in the shower, whatever it is, to pray for those in like your very near concentric circles, your family, your coworkers. And then during the first car ride of the day, maybe consider keeping the radio or the podcast turned off, praying for as many of your fellow church members as you can 
my name. And I found that actually speaking and praying out loud is very helpful. It's very awkward, perhaps, if you've never been in the car by yourself and prayed out loud. It's actually a really good way to just keep your mind and your mouth and your heart focused on what you're thinking about and praying about. And so as I've grown more disciplined in praying in the morning, I found myself more quick to pray three seconds at a time, three minutes at a time throughout then the day, later on in the afternoon, praying for things that I wouldn't have thought to pray for. It would have been ordinarily trusting in myself to accomplish. The scope of my prayers is beginning to increase rather than just praying for things merely about myself. But all the more then wanting to get back here with you all on Sundays to pray more with you. Praying individually then should want us to do it more together. So can I just make another plug for our third Thursday prayer meeting? Every third Thursday of the month at 6.30 at the Christian Challenge Building, the BSU, right at like three minutes from here. Every third Thursday from 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. And we have chosen that time because uh, We know it's early. You're going to have to set an alarm perhaps a little earlier than you would have ordinarily, but we've chosen that time so that hopefully everyone in our church can be there. If you have to be at work at 8, then you can be there from 6.30 to 7.30, pray with us, and be on your way, even with a cup of coffee on the road. Uh, Perhaps uh, you're getting kids ready for the day, uh, getting kids ready for school or something, bring them all. We can all pray together. Uh, Listen, I'm so thankful for like the eight-ish who have been joining us on these third Thursday prayer meetings. If it stays at eight for the next 50 years, I will be a happy man. I would love, I would so love. I've got this vision. It's not a vision from the Lord, but a vision of this Baptist Student Union building with like 12 round tables filled up. There's like a hundred of us just once a month for one hour to pray together for our church for our city, for other churches in town, for the world, for our workers overseas, all of these things for one hour. So can I encourage you all, perhaps even right now, to get out a phone and put a reminder or a maybe a third Thursday calendar block uh, in your calendar on your phone and then just have that thing repeat until the Lord returns. And then let's just keep doing that until the Lord returns. Would you join us uh, this third Thursday? I don't even know what the date is, but it's the third Thursday, and we'll gather at the Baptist Union Union Building at 6.30, and there will be coffee. And I am, in faith, going to get more coffee than I normally have, uh, because I think you can be there, and we should do that. But here's the thing, though. I still feel, feel supremely unqualified to teach and preach, you all, to preach to you all about prayer. So would you keep praying for me that I would pray more? Let's pray for one another that we would want to pray more. But growing in these small ways has undoubtedly deepened my fellowship with the triune God, which is the entire point of prayer, which is the entire point of this entire liturgy, the entire point of why we gather here on Sundays, really the entire point of the Christian life, that we would grow in deeper union, communion with one another as we grow in deeper union and communion with our triune God. So if you're still tempted to think of prayer as a tax-like duty or obligation, perhaps this week don't bite off more than you can chew and then get frustrated or discouraged 
It's like if you go to the gym for the first time, you haven't lifted a weight or been on a treadmill for the last year, and you loaded up a bench press with like 225 pounds, you would get crushed. Don't try to say, all right, this week, I'm praying one hour every day. Let's shoot for five minutes. Let's shoot for five minutes and work from there. Pray for a couple of minutes in the shower. Pick one car ride per day. If you've never felt prayer as intimate, as actually kind of awkward, keep praying. Keep on doing it. And pray that duty would ultimately turn into delight. It's been said, pray when you feel like it. Pray when you don't feel like it. Pray until you feel like it. Now, you know from experience that the easiest conversations that you have with people, small talk conversations can be a little difficult for some of us. If you don't really know the person, trying to think about what to say next can be difficult. The easiest conversations we have are with the people that we know the best. When you're not trying to get to know each other and come up with the next question, draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. This is the good news of the gospel and the good news of praying to him. So let's do that now. And would you please pray along with me? This is a good practice. Just take, your, take my words and speak them along silently. And if you find that you've agreed with my words as your words, join me with a confident and hearty amen as we stamp that prayer together. Let's pray. Our Father, We are so thankful that you have given us your word, that you have given us yourself. You have given us the bread of life, the Lord Jesus who has descended from heaven, that we might taste and see that the Lord is good. God, we are so thankful that you are a God who hears, that you are a God who is powerful and sovereign and mighty, but you are also a God of love, that you are a God of nearness So God, we pray that you would indeed keep your promise to draw near to us as we draw near to you. Lord, please make us a praying people. Make us a people who quickly and impulsively comes to you with our requests in expectant faith because you are good, because you are wise, because you are Father. And we pray for all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.